0: Now, friends, if you have a Bible, uh, I again invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study at Ephesians 5, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. How should the gospel shape our relationships? That's the subject we've been in now for a few weeks and we'll continue for more to come. Last week we considered how the gospel should shape the relation of a wife to her husband. Tonight we take that in reverse and we consider Paul's words to husbands and how to live out being the head of their wife. There's a lot of, a lot of confusion in the world. Uh, About that today. We want to say a few words about that before we read the text together. Consider the two missionaries I heard in the last couple of years. One, a missionary to Africa, who was visiting uh, the church in Fayetteville we were in, and he described a challenge they encounter there in helping men be husbands. Said an African to him, this was in one country at least, said an African to him, in our culture, the men view themselves as the king of their home. How do you think we view our wives? No, not as the queen, he said, as slaves who are to serve us. Now consider a second situation. This one in Thailand, a a former student of mine spent a summer in Thailand and in speaking to the The American career missionary who'd been there a long time, he was describing to this student the problem in the culture this way. When you see a group of beautiful women walking down the street, the problem is half of them may be men. The men look like, he said, but more significantly act like the women. They're indistinguishable. Now, friends... That may be just an American on the outside of a culture looking at it from his own perspective, but he considered it a real problem in the marriages. In our culture, we have both problems and plenty more. Men who treat their wives as tyrants treat their slaves. And men who live with their wives not as husbands, but basically indistinguishable. Uh, from their wives in the role that they carry out in the home and if we're honest these problems shape us and many more like the problems of the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews in Jesus day that Paul speaks to one of the one of the Greeks or Romans said about their women they are married to be divorced and they are divorced in order to be married they just cast them off for any reason whatever and they just picked up a new one and worked through a cycle that may describe our culture more than anything but so we want to consider this and i am not like i said last week i am no master in my home of how to live the way that god wants me to uh i I, it seems like everywhere in the Bible I read these days and every prayer I pray these days, I'm saying to myself as I read it or pray it, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm not this thing. Uh, forgive me. And I feel like a hypocrite. And so I, I, while well, I feel like maybe the word hypocrite is across my forehead as you listen to me tonight, um, because none of us, none of us perfectly obeys what Paul tells us to be here. And to do neither with wives who are called to submit nor with husbands who are called to exercise their headship. We are interested tonight in not my marriage, but what Paul calls for in Christian marriages. We want to aim at that. And if you're not married, keep your ears open. What are you headed for? What are you looking for? What's to be expected of you by God? And what should you anticipate from a Christian spouse and finally if your elbows are in the rib of your significant other as you listen either last week or this week just waiting to give them that shot i assure you that there can be nothing more destructive to your marriage than to you to listen to these sermons and say and that's what's wrong with that person and that's why things are so hard for me in my marriage and and when i get home i'm gonna put the hammer down because you know pastor ted said it you know they're doing it wrong this way oh no friends Listen to this word and think about how you need to change and repent and listen with a heart that is quick and willing and desirous to forgive the failures of your spouse. As Paul has already said in chapter five, live a life of love and imitate God in love and forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's the attitude to take as you listen to this. And so then let me invite you to turn to Ephesians 5, and pick up the reading at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you as needy people as failures in so much of life that you've called us to as people bent on ourselves we pray that you would forgive us you would cleanse us you would change us and by this word you would transform us and that you would teach us to walk in your ways and to live together as heirs of the grace of life for we pray in jesus name amen so we want then to consider husbands this evening, we should say one word to the ladies by way of reminder. Paul said just a few things to you last week, specifically about submitting to your own husbands and respecting your husband. And we said last week, notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't tell husbands to go home and make their wives submit. Paul speaks directly to women. As fully capable and involved disciples, he expects our responsible disciples who want themselves to follow Jesus because they love Jesus. And because you love me, Jesus says to you, I want you to submit to your own husbands as you submit to me. This is what Jesus says to the ladies. But about husbands and headship, Paul has much more to say, perhaps three times as much. In this passage, and that's what we want to consider tonight. We want to do it under three headings we want to think about the drama of headship, the dying of headship, and the demand of headship. The drama, the dying, and the demand. Uh, So, first, headship is about living out the drama of the gospel marriage is about something much bigger we said last week than two people enjoying happiness or about two people not being alone or lonely or about two people helping each other in trouble or have right having righteous sex or getting their legal rights or populating the earth with kiddos though marriage is about all those things it is also about this it is about a man and a woman fulfilling two roles headship And submission, the man's role, be like Jesus to her, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's your role, to be like Jesus to your wife. And wives, be like the church to your husband, verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see what he's saying here? The the man finds his bride, he woos her, he wins her, he loves her, he gives himself to her and for her. And she responds to him, she welcomes him, she receives him, she respects him. And they do this, the two, no longer two but one, they become one flesh in order to display the gospel in order to say something about jesus and his bride the church so uh, for the same reason that it is inappropriate for a man to not get married but sleep around with many women and likewise for the same reason it is inappropriate for a man to marry three women and live in polygamy And likewise for the same reason that it is inappropriate for a man to marry and cheat and divorce and remarry and cheat and divorce and remarry in a cycle and pattern of that. So also it is inappropriate to the gospel for a man to marry a man because it's inappropriate in this way it falls short of what god intends marriage to portray marriage is about portraying the committed monogamous faithful covenant love and dedication of jesus to his bride and his bride's respect for him and, and so the Bible says that it is to be portrayed between one man and one woman living this way. Notice Paul says, this is what I'm talking about here. You thought I was talking about the marriage of a man and a woman. And then he goes on to quote Moses at verse 30. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. The Apostle Paul tells you from Genesis 2, in the garden before sin entered the world, marriage was about Jesus and his bride. That's why we need to hold to the view of marriage that the Bible holds to, because it's about the atonement. It's about one of the most significant doctrines of Christianity. At its root and heart, it's about. About a man giving his life in service of his bride. That's what marriage is. And so anything less than that, anything less than that, anything less than that is less than what God intends for marriage to be. And we all fail in many ways. And I want to say to you, if if, if any of those things is part of your past, if any of those things is part of your present, you are welcome here in this church. You are welcome to come and sit under the gospel ministry. The gospel is for sinners. It's not for the righteous. It's for the unrighteous. It's not for the whole, but for the broken. We want you here. We all have these sins at work in our hearts and our minds. We've done things with our bodies we should not do. And we all need Jesus. And we want to aim then to be molded by his goodness and grace to walk in his ways. And this is what he says marriage is. No wonder then that Satan from the very beginning attacked Adam and Eve in their relationship. Because he wanted to undermine the very idea of this. And so he does as well with, with ours. So let me then highlight a, a few things this drama is not. And apply it to decision making in marriage and dating if you're not married. Between humans, this is not about inequality between the man and the woman. God made male and female, female in his own image after his own likeness. Genesis chapter 1. And he gave both the privilege of dominion over the earth, of mastery over his creation, to sit as king and queen under King Jesus over all that God had made. This is not about inequality in any way, but equality of worth is not identity of role. God is not saying wives are less than their husbands in any way, but there is a different role to be played by husband and by wife so men it's not about whether your wife lets you be the head you are the head however poorly you exercise those responsibilities and likewise however poorly your wife is responding to you you are head because jesus has made you head and headship does not mean you make every decision in the home That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, it's striking. You might have expected Paul, after speaking to wives and saying, see that you submit yourself to your own husband, you might have thought Paul immediately was going to turn around and say, now husbands, lead your wives. Rule your wives. Tell her what to do. Run your home. He doesn't do that at all. He says, husbands, love your wives and give yourself on her behalf. This is not about A husband not entrusting himself to his bride. Proverbs 31 says that of the godly wife that the heart of her husband trusts in her. He trusts her. He he consults her. He values her wisdom, her desires, her opinion. He knows she's far more competent than him in some areas of life. And so he relies on her abilities in those areas. Listen, in my home, I tend to be the overreactor. Milena is about as cool a cucumber as it gets, especially when it comes to the children. I, I tend to, to have knee-jerk responses of, of fatherly parenting. And I'll say things that I truly and honestly have to repent of. Because I, I, I have no intention of following through. Oh, so-and-so stole so-and-so's bike again and was gone all day with it somewhere in the neighborhood. Well, when they get back, we're taking the bike away for a year. <laughs> okay, let's walk that back for a moment. Uh, a, a calmer demeanor at times, a wiser person, Melina. Smooths things over at times in in my home. It's just one of my many failures. I, I need to learn to lean on her wisdom and counsel when it comes to parenting my children. Maybe your wife is more competent than you, gentlemen, at finances. Maybe she knows what she's doing when it comes to money. You need to lean on her counsel and competence. The heart of her husband trusts in her, says Proverbs 31. Why would you not trust in her? So this isn't about you ruling the roost yourself and dominating every decision. And it's not about you having the right to be wrong or or the right to be unloving in any way. You, uh, the Bible says, you who've been made the head of the home. You don't say, well, we're going to do it my way because God made me the head of this home. Now, fall in line. Not not with that kind of disposition. Listen, we're not islands to ourselves. and, And marriage is designed for us to work together. Now, clearly, if a husband and wife cannot arrive at a final decision in which they agree together, however much prayer they have prayed, however much counsel they have sought, and it ought to be done that way. At some point, if a decision must be made, and you cannot find yourself in any agreement, then the responsibility for the final decision before God rests on the shoulder of the head of the home. In Genesis chapter 2, if you want to see that illustrated. In Genesis 2, after the fall into rebellion, when God comes looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, when he calls them out and actually he's wooing them to himself, you're hiding from me, do you know that you're hiding from me, where are you? He calls them out and he goes to Adam first with an account to get an accounting of what happened, even though it was Eve who gave the fruit to Adam and he followed her in tasting it. When it was time for a reckoning, God came to Adam as head of his home and head of humanity with the responsibility to protect his wife. And he said, Adam, what's up? And Adam passed the buck. Adam responded, well, the woman you made, she gave it to me and I ate. Well, it's the woman's fault. It's my wife's fault we're in this pickle. And oh, by by the way, it's the wife you made and gave to me. It's your fault is what Adam said to God. It's anybody's fault but my fault. And God comes right back at Adam and says, Adam, you were responsible for your home. You were to protect her. You were to serve her and love her is what he was to have done. So I'm saying this. What your decision in your home however those play out with with much discussion and prayer and seeking wise counsel if you can't agree it may be that you pick not your choice but her choice it may be that the final decision you make in your own home is to go with her and not your own if you're perhaps leaning on her strengths if, if you decide to turn on a great job offer in another town because your wife simply doesn't want to live there, and if it was up to you, your decision would be, boom, we're gone. But in deference to the cares and concerns of your wife, or if you choose not to invest in something you think is a fabulous moneymaker because your wife doesn't agree with you, The point is you aim for oneness, you aim for unity. God has made you one. You aim for agreement, and you bear the weight of the responsibility to see that that happens. And you bear the weight of the responsibility for how you exercise your decision-making. Friends, this is not an argument for passivity. If she has to constantly nudge you to lead, she'll become miserable as you become resentful. And in dating, this is why even at the level of dating, I, I believe that, that women will be much happier if they let the guy pursue them instead of pursuing him. Listen, I, I simply want to say to you, it, I know it doesn't always work this way, and there, there are examples of it working out great in other ways. But, but consider at least this, if she has to chase you now, she may in fact be chasing you the rest of her life while thinking to herself, he loves me, but he loves me not. But if she lets you chase her and lets you catch her, she'll have much more confidence that your heart is in it. And it's real in you, rather than you just responding to what's in her heart. That's because one of the default modes of men is passivity. We've got to be looking for the kind of love in a man that moves him to action. That gets him to actually do something. Or, or she will end up like the mother of three who told Dr. Brian Chapel of Covenant Seminary, quote, my husband hasn't made a decision regarding our family in two years. He makes no attempt to discipline the children. That's left to me. He never consults me about taking out-of-town work assignments. He comes and he goes seemingly without any regard for my feelings or our children's needs. They don't even know him. All he does is come home from time to time and break our routine before leaving again. I, I don't have three children. I have four. So what we want to see is the kind of activity, the responsible activity on the part of a man to love and serve his wife. To live out the drama of Jesus loving and serving his bride. So headship is about that, living out that drama. Reject passivity, man. Take responsibility for your marriage. Be like Jesus to her. Own it. That's what Paul says. Now, the second thing is this. What does that look like day to day? It looks like this. Headship means dying to yourself every day and living for your wife. Paul says, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love her? How? How should I love her? He died for her. Now, I want to say to you, however, rarely in our experience will you need to leap in front of a speeding bullet in order to prove your love by death for your wife. The kind of dying you need to do for her is actually to live for her. And that means four things. Notice Paul's language at verse twenty-six. It means living for her cleansing. When he says, "Jesus gave Himself for His bride that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water, or washing of water with the Word." The first thing that He did for her was cleansed her. And then sanctified her. So he's talking about cleansing here. This is what Jesus did. And he's saying this is then a model for husbands. Live for her cleansing from sin. What am I saying? Well, Jesus bore our sins on his body on the tree. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. As surely as water lifts dirt from our skin. Paul, I think, is saying take your wife to the one who cleanses us from sin. This should be your first aim. Listen, many men have wives so concerned for their diligence in their service of their husbands and family that her every little failure and likewise any little displeasure the husband shows toward her heaps guilt on her conscience. Her imperfections nag her. They belittle her. They beat her down. And the enemy of her soul says, you're worthless. And what she needs from her husband is for him to speak the gospel into her life. And bring her again and again to Jesus. And remind her that Jesus lived for her perfectly. For her righteousness. And Jesus died for her pardon. To bring her peace, and he loves her. Tell her he loves her; that she is his beloved, and she is yours. That that means at times you need to be the one to show her her sin. Certainly, but do so gently. Gently. Think, think how carefully you are. Uh, with your own bodily cleansing needs. And we need not get graphic here, but just to remind you of how you cut your toenails and how you floss your teeth and how you trim, man, your nose and ear hair. Too graphic, I realize, sorry. It's hard to be sensitive enough. Be gentle with her for her sins. And show her the way when you do this. Show her the way. Be, take the lead in confessing your own sin and repenting and in forgiving. Say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me." Let that language be the language of what it is, true Christianity at work at home. And so you aim for her cleansing so she knows she's pardoned and clean. Before God. And secondly you aim for her sanctification. This is what Jesus did for his church. Again verse 26. He died for her Why? That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her. So Jesus lived and died. For us to be changed. And made like himself. So likewise. You and I are to aim for. The spiritual maturity of our wives. To encourage her growth. In grace. Build her up. In the love of Christ, and how do we do that? You need to arrange your family and arrange your schedule so that the means of grace regularly occupy your attention. What are the means of grace? They're avenues or channels by which God deals graciously with His people. If you want to get wet, go out in a shower. Just stand in a shower and go out in the, the storm. Right? If, you, if you want to go wet, get wet where the water is flowing. Likewise, if you want grace, be under the faucet where grace is being ministered. And that, my friends, means you and I have got to prioritize public Lord's Day worship, speaking to the choir. Public Lord's Day worship where the gospel is proclaimed from the word and the gospel is made visible in the supper. So that she can be under that gospel and taste the love of Christ. And we need to prioritize time at home in the Bible with our wife. And initiate discussions about the Bible and the Christian life with our wives. And we need to pray for her. And we need to pray with her. We need to live. We need to die to self and live to see God make her become more and more like Jesus. As she grows confident in Jesus' love. This is what he's saying. So live for her sanctification. And thirdly, live for her glory. Die to yourself and and aim to see her radiant in glory. That's the language of verse 27. This is what Jesus did. Why did he cleanse her and sanctify her? So that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless before him. Jesus' aim was to present to himself a bride perfect in glory. And one day, the Bible says, as C.S. Lewis put it, one day your wife, dear Christian man, your Christian wife is going to be so glorious in perfection in heaven that if you could see her now as she one day will be, you would be tempted to bow in worship before the glory that she will be. So, aim for that in her life. Look for that. Your headship isn't designed to crush her, but free her to be all that God has designed her to be in the fullness. Of glory. And you want to be, dear Christian husband, you want to be holding her hand on that great day when we stand before Jesus. And you want to present her to Jesus. And you want to say, I have lived and died to myself to present her before you. Glorious. Knowing, dear Christian man, that only Jesus can do the work of works, but this is your goal. And fourthly, you live to cherish her you die to yourself verses 28 and 29 to live to nourish and cherish her he says at verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body and he who loves his wife loves himself no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes cherishes it just as christ does the church you see what jesus does he holds us close And likewise, this is what you were to do for your wife. Hold her close to you. As I tell married couples, husbands, shower her with expressions of tenderness, words of affection. Remember when you first pursued your wife, man? You arranged your schedule to be with her. You asked her questions. You drew her out. You stared her in the eyes and listened to her. You shared your heart with her as you heard her heart, and when you were apart, you called her, you texted her, you emailed her, you couldn't be wait to be with her. you held her hand, you longed to kiss her. You thought of ways to please her, delight in her and surprise her. Why do we not continue to do that with our wives? Why not continue? In some way, to cherish her and nourish her, to provide for her, to protect her. God is calling us, friends, to all these things that, as John Calvin put it, every man by his very nature loves himself. But no man can love himself without loving his wife. Therefore, the man who does not love his wife is a monster. Apostle Paul says, oh, friends, die to yourself and live for her cleansing, live for her sanctification, live for her glory, live to cherish her. And all this living for her requires you die to yourself, die to your hobbies if you have to so you can spend time with her, die to your friendships with other men that take too much time away from her. Die to intimacy with other women as you forsake all others and cleave only unto her. Die to the sloth that leaves the spiritual life of your family up to her. Die to the apathy that ties you to a television instead of leading her to worship God. Die to the extra work that brings more money at her expense. And the expense of family time. Die to being served by her. That you might serve her. Are you learning to die to yourself? Are you learning to live for Christ now? This is what God wants you to do. And if you're looking for a wife. You ask yourself this. Do I love this woman with a desire to see her forgiven? Cleansed? Made like Jesus and presented in glory, and do I want to spend life cherishing her? Is that what you want? You should marry her. So, headship is about the drama of the gospel, and it's about dying to yourself, and it is about a demand, an unnatural demand. And this is where we'll close. What Paul calls all husbands to here is to use their authority and responsibility. In ways we haven't the strength or the wisdom to do on our own. Love her like Jesus loves the church. That feels absolutely impossible. But just because we fall short of the ideal doesn't mean we chuck the whole thing. Number one, don't give up on marriage. If anything is worth doing, it's worth doing even poorly. Quit hiding from your failures. Let your failures teach you you're bent to your own selfishness and your your own self-reliance. Maybe, dear friend, you have an Adam-like passivity. You apathetically sit back in weakness and won't protect or defend your wife nor lead her in the ways of the Lord. Or maybe you aggressively dominate her through abusing your strength in order to control her, manipulate, and intimidate her. And whether apathy or abuse, it's wrong, and we need to be forgiven, and we need to forgive. We need to forgive our wives' Eve-like tendency to take control of her own destiny and to not listen to the Lord or to you. And so maybe your wife has trampled your authority in your home. Maybe she's tried to dominate you by manipulating you through shame or through ridicule or by withholding affection or or by simply refusing to follow your lead. Marriage, friends, will reveal for both of us that we are broken in ways we have not even imagined. And Jesus loves to save the broken and the contrite of heart who need a savior paul says forgive her as you have been forgiven who can handle that who can do that who's got the strength for any of this we're weak no wonder paul follows verse 18 with these instructions be filled with the spirit in other words lean on the lord for the courage and the wisdom and the willingness and the help To sacrifice for her. Ask for that help. And what if. What if friends. You find that you just simply cannot love your wife. You find it insurmountably difficult to love your wife. She is only ugly to you. And a source of irritation to you. What do you do? Then the apostle Paul would say this. If you cannot love your wife as your wife then you love her as your sister in Christ. And if you cannot love her as your sister in Christ, then you love her as a friend. And if you cannot love her as a friend, then you love her as an enemy. Is this not the way that God has chosen to love us? No one has had a worse wife than Jesus, who found her as a whore, Who keeps on whoring herself for other lovers. And yet he loves her. As Paul puts it in Romans 5. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love isn't based on our loveliness. But while we were enemies, when we could care less about him when we didn't give a rip about him, when we were extremely unlovely and ugly in our sin, and when there was absolutely nothing for him to gain by loving us, that's when he loved us. So you get your love for your wife, friends, from being loved by and abiding in the love of your Savior for you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us, we pray. We are desperately needy. We're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and we don't even know it. And we boast of what a good job that we do when we really have failed one another again and again. Have mercy on us, forgive us, and make us faithful like you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stay together and sing, Jesus, lover of my soul.